I remember very vividly the first time he kissed me. I don't remember the specifics of a lot of the middle years of my life. I remember up until I was about six or seven pretty vividly. And then it goes hazy and stays hazy. But I do remember this. We were at my grandparents' house, and we had been watching soap operas on television for days. That's what was on in the afternoons during the week over the holidays or during summer vacation. This was summer, because it was hot enough for shorts. And I also remember feeling sunburned on my cheeks. Sometimes the grown-ups, my mother or my grandmother or step-grandfather, might have said, is there something else on? And some other adult might have answered, it's just an old movie on Channel 26 and some kind of cooking show on Channel 12. And they'd choose the soap opera, as if that were the least offensive choice of the lot. Like I was too young to know or pay attention to the themes of the soap opera, I guess was the reasoning. But we know now that children are paying attention from the beginning, from the jump, as Lydia would say. I know I was definitely paying attention to those soaps. The women had very big, done hair, curly and flouncing, not straight, like mine or mother's. They had homes with nice furniture, and the really rich ones had doorbells that went ding-dong and had some servant in a uniform that would answer it. And they were all thin, not like me. I was referred to as stocky in conversation, in my presence, actually. That word comes from an old English word that means made of wood, incidentally. And they wore sequined dresses or satin pajamas with robes and heels at home. And when they went out to the hospital where they were a therapist or the magazine where they were a creative director or something, they wore very quasi-conservative 80s power clothing. Shoulder pads and blouses that buttoned all the way to the nape of the neck in the back with very high-waisted ass-hugger trousers. And they had these long, polished nails and eyelashes and lots and lots of eye makeup and rouge. Rouge was a thing. No one wears rouge now. You might stain your cheeks or use a little cream something or other. Now Poop probably has a slap-yourself-rosy routine posted online you can follow every day for a month. But really, now you're just expected to drink smoothies and do bar classes to restore your natural glow. Or put hot rocks up your twat or something. Who knows? I can't keep up with all the ways I'm supposed to kill myself to remain vital. Lydia thinks it will never happen to her. All young women and girls think they'll be young forever, powerful forever. You all think, no, time won't pass me by. I will always recognize myself and never lose my confidence, and certainly no dust will swirl around the wallet and key ring my husband left on the dresser when he went to Ikea or China or wherever he went, the sea. My child will always love me. Anyway, these women... These women were in tortured romances with their one true love, who inevitably was paralyzed in a terrible helicopter crash, or cheated on them with someone younger and more beautiful, or cheated with someone slightly older and edgier, someone that maybe wore black fishnets and had cap teeth, a bad girl. And there was always a love triangle, and the women were always saying, make love to me, Danny, 
or make love to me, Bo, or make love to me, Victor, and Danny and Bo and Victor would make love to them by candlelight with music, which seemed to involve satin sheets and French kissing. I'd heard about French kissing from my friend Eileen's brother, Jimmy, who was certifiably disgusting on every level. And I wanted something like that world. Wasn't that the point of them? To occupy women's minds while they sat at home hating domesticity? I didn't know anything about anything, certainly all that, but I did know I wanted some lovemaking. No one had yet talked about it with me, of course. Well, except Jimmy. But what I really mean is there were never affectionate gestures made in our house between the adults that were leading up to tender, gentle, candlelit lovemaking later, from what I could tell. I didn't yet realize sex was going to be athletics, really, with my woman's body being the court or the field, of course. Didn't understand. Sometimes I wouldn't have any say at all. I knew nothing about sex, and less about love, because my family was careless. There was fighting and hitting and neglect, the usual failings. Being held in a man's strong arms looked like love. I'm embarrassed to say that, but I was desperate because my father, the man in my life, was either rough with me or ignored my existence altogether. He pushed me around, literally put me where he wanted me, when he wanted me there. He took me by the upper arm hard or pushed me hard in the middle of my back or hit me with a belt for back sassing, which generally meant observing him as he really was rather than observing him as he wished to be regarded. So this asking someone to make love to you, and then this elaborate ritual with candles and soft music and muscular arms holding you tenderly, rather than yanking you around like a kettlebell, seemed very appealing to me. It certainly seemed like the ideal, given what I knew as the alternative, and let's be real, what most women know of actual men. And my grandfather, well, step-grandfather, was more gentle with me than my father. He was not particularly special to me or anything. He was my grandmother's second husband, actually. My real grandfather was nowhere in the picture. And I called him Gordon. Nobody respected him, really, now that I think about it. He called himself the meal ticket, and no one told him he was wrong. That I can recall. Anyway, it was summer, and it was late in the afternoon, and we'd watched soaps all day. My father wasn't there. He never went with me and Norley to grandmother's. And Gordon suggested a ride on the riding lawnmower down into the woods. It was something we did. It wasn't unusual. And I remember it took me a long time to remember this. As I was sitting on Gordon's lap on the lawnmower, my legs spread wearing little shorts and a little tank top, helping him steer, that he had an erection. And his erection was pressing against my butt. And that sensation, I will never forget it now, though it took me 25 years to remember, was so strange. I wasn't aroused. I was a child. I was confused and curious and numb. 
And we rode around like that for a while until finally he stared us down a little path that was worn at the edge of a field, out of view of the house, behind a stand of pines. And he held me there, very close to him. He didn't shut off the lawnmower. It vibrated beneath us and the rumbling pounded my ears and I couldn't hear anything. And I turned my face toward him to ask him what we were doing. And he was smiling. And he gave me a little peck on the lips. And I was giggling because it felt ticklish and strange. And I also was very, very nervous and didn't understand what was happening. And then, I don't know why I did this, I French kissed him back, or what I thought was French kissing. I opened my mouth and put it on his mouth. I didn't do anything with my tongue because there were not tongues involved in TV French kissing, and I wouldn't understand the tongue part until later. Anyway, Gordon drew back for a second, very surprised, I guess. He was still smiling, and smiling still when he pushed me off of his lap and onto the ground and hollered at me to run back up to the house. Some people, I guess, would have told me not to tell anybody, but he didn't have to tell me not to tell anybody because he knew nobody was listening to me anyway. He knew I didn't get any respect either. We were alike in his mind, in this way, I guess. The lawnmower was loud as blazes, I remember. I was nine. And it happened again. Many more things happened. There was never real French kissing, which I guess was his way of making it less serious. And I believed for a very long time that I had started it. I did not know what real kissing looked like. What love looked like. Now I do. But the person I feel it for, the only person... I've been able to let down my guard enough to treasure. We'll never understand it. I finally got a lock on her. She was stumbling away. She was a freak show, covered in leaves, a couple of sticks in her hair. She looked completely nuts. I approached her from behind gingerly. I didn't want to freak her out any more than she already was freaked out, God knows. I was afraid she'd scratch my eyes out or run headfirst into a tree or something. I wouldn't be doing this anyway if it weren't for Lizzie, who insisted I go after Lucinda while she took the kids home and let my mother in so she could watch the kids while Lizzie went to bar class and I went to my showing on 7th from 2 to 4, which was fast approaching. Lucinda! Wait up, I called, friendly. I didn't want to make it seem like we were in straitjacket territory, even though she looked like a trip to Bellevue might not be out of the question. Actually, Lizzie had said, take Lucy home. I call her Lucy to Lizzie, though she goes by Lucinda. I don't know why. I only know her because, well, of course, I've been seeing her in the neighborhood for years, but I had never spoken to her. But then she started coming to my open houses. Two bedrooms, mainly. Said she was thinking about downsizing, some Japanese book about throwing stuff out. 
Here's a woman who has three floors and a masonette, I'm guessing, on a park block on 11th Street, and she's looking at two-bedroom apartments. So, I took her to get one of those grass smoothies she was always carrying around to figure out why she was in the market. Took her for a walk, listened. I might have texted her a couple of jokes, you know, keep things friendly. The things you do to get a listing. I didn't invent them, right? Anyway, we end up on a bench near the lake, and she just spills her guts about a lot of stuff that was, frankly, inappropriate for her to tell a perfect stranger. It was a little embarrassing, to be honest. And I told her a few things about our situation, just, you know, to balance things out, you know? I offered to put her in touch with our our therapist, okay? We see a therapist, Lizzie and I. We have a book. It's called Tight Hugs. We do exercises out of it. Anyway, I told her about that. It was quid pro quo. Nothing too personal, just so she'd know it's universal. Couples have problems. Then, I hear through the grapevine, her husband has disappeared somewhere in China. I don't really know them, don't really care. Well, I do. I'm not an asshole. I mean, no more than anybody else. I care the way a person cares about climate change and racism. It sucks, but really, how much can one person do? I just try not to be an asshole. I care about my wife and kids. I care about keeping my shit pulled together. Ten years ago, I was tending bar in Palm Beach, closing the place down, partying. Then I'd wake and bake and do it all over again. Now I have my priorities straight. The Marines did that for me. Lizzie did that for me. My kids. Lucinda, hold on! I called. She was hauling ass. She was embarrassed. I got it, and she should have been. She was a spectacle. But I was a little worried about her. It wasn't what I would call normal. She could barely speak in complete sentences. She was like making weird noises, animal noises. It was weird. She should probably talk to somebody about that, I think. It's not so bad. She's making out like she has it bad. But the way I see it, she's got a house on the best street in the tightest market in Brooklyn. Worse comes to worse, she sells the house to make ends meet downsizes. Her kid's almost out of the house anyway. I'd sell it for her for, what, 5%? I could still clear 150 k and that would make Lizzie happy. It's a brownstone in what looks like pristine condition. I haven't been inside, of course. She'd walk away with at least 1.7, probably. I mean, I understand. She's stressed out. She's in a tough spot. She's going through stuff. I get it. We are so lucky. We're the lucky ones, Lizzie and I. We're working on gratitude. Lizzie has a gratitude journal. It's all in the book. Anyway, somebody had to take her in hand. Luce, hold on, I called. But she started running. And that's when I noticed. Twin dark red streams running down the backs of her calves. I thought I'd smelled blood down on the drive, and sure enough, ugh. There isn't a man alive who wouldn't have the same reaction to this particular feminine situation, so don't give me that look. So I give her the oorah voice. Hey! The Marine voice. 
I used to cut the shit and get a situation under control. But I tempered it a little bit, softened it around the edges because she wasn't being unruly, just hysterical. I ran after her, trotted after her. She didn't break stride. So I turned on the gas. A couple of seconds later, I was beside her. I reached out my hand. Let's simmer all the way down, I said. And I took her by the arm. It was like a turkey leg, honestly, really fat and meaty at the top, tapering down to a little knuckly wrist bone. I don't know why I noted that. I'm not trying to be mean. And she shoved me off. Strong little bulldog. Then she, like, thrusts her cell phone toward me. Is this, is this thing on? She says. And I didn't know which end was up for a second, but I took the phone from her anyway. Even it was dirty. Jesus, I thought. The screen was black, so it definitely was not on. And I tried to turn it on, but maybe it was it was clogged or something. It was taking its sweet time. And while we waited, I put my mouth up to it, far enough from it to avoid a mouthful of dirt, and said, Hello, are you on? And smiled at her, but she looked at me like I was a talking potato. And then I realized she was the color of oatmeal, shaking and red-eyed. So I downshifted into crisis management mode. Do you want a car to the hospital? Or do you want me to walk you down there myself? I said in a soothing tone. She put the phone to her ear again, pulled it away, stared at it. Why would I want to go to the hospital? She asked me in this far away voice. I didn't want to embarrass her, but I didn't have much choice. Because, I said softly, and drew a circle in the air around her, well, a certain part of her anatomy. You need help, Luz. She stopped short. And then she opened her mouth to say something. And then that cough came out, that weird sound she was making down by the lake that I heard from the trees she'd been hiding in when Lizzie sent me after her. She should be seen by some kind of specialist, maybe. Maybe she's a smoker, and, and, and then her eyes locked on mine. And it was uncomfortable. It's not comfortable when someone's eyes are locked on yours, but yours aren't locked on theirs. And then, boom, she hurled herself at me and kissed me hard on the mouth. And... I'm like, holy shitballs. Holy shitballs? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, for the love of Mike, Mom! Mom, I'm dying! I'm dying! Mom! I am literally dying! Matt, actually. What? Matt, not Mike. I'm, why, why? Oh my God, I feel strange. Oh. Why did you do this to me? Nobody forced you to come here, you made a choice. You coerced me, you coerced me! You never learned not to talk to strangers. You didn't feel like a stranger because we like, liked the same kinds of things. 
and now I'm, I'm dying. This isn't dying. You don't know what dying really is. It hurts like a bitch, but death it is not. My tongue. What the fuck is this noise she keeps making? Jesus Christ, eat a Ricola and get a grip, Mom. Please, please, I'm floating in death space. You're looking better, actually. You're being dramatic. Shut up and fuck you! Excuse me? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please, please don't. I'm... Mostly, I'm mostly, mostly, I mostly mean her. I mean, shit, I, I seem to have actually reached across the space-time continuum across dimensions defying all known scientific fact, and this bitch still can't hear me. Do I look like I care about any of this? No. Hold on one second, lift, and... Actually, no. No, that that doesn't feel not like great, but not. Why do I feel like I could split an atom with my mind? That's the least of it. Well, no, no. Actually, that's not a small thing. I am familiar with nuclear physics. Tell me what's what. My tongue. My tongue. My tongue. My body is music. My tongue is a liar, my spine is... My mind. My older mind, that mind is a memory now. Now that me is just a pile of memories, that... The way I was exists only in the minds of the people who knew me then, and, and I, I am the sum of some of that, that math. Oh, brother. Who is he? Who is this, this... He's not real. Ugh. She does this. It's a thing she does. She can do whatever she wants, but you? Well, you'd better toe that line, Miss Priss. Unicorn britches. She called me that once. Such a, such a, a, such a fucking hypocrite. There was a whole month when the house was upside down with mom and dad in a huge argument, laundry piling up and no cooked food and nobody talking, and it was all because Lucinda found a receipt in Mitch's pocket for some French restaurant that he'd eaten in alone, rather than with her. I don't need the whole kitten caboodle. Which, frankly, was understandable because we... Well, I mean, just look at her. She's a total shit show. Fucking bitch. <gasps> Sorry. Oh, my God. What is this? Mitch wasn't even cheating, I don't think. Anyway, why do I... Now I'm... Now I'm... I'm now, now I'm... I'm thinking like her. Fuck. She's a virus. Stars. 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 Quasars. Infinity. Time is an illusion. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. Oh, God, I feel tragic. No. 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 Why do you call your parents by their first names? Because they haven't earned my respect. Will all this, all this, oh, this shit, shut up, bitch, I'm talking! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, blah. Fuck you! Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm here, I'm sorry, wah, 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 simmer down, cupcake. No more sorries. It's a perfectly normal side effect. I'm sorry. I just want to see my granddaughter, Lydia. Nana? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know who you are. You'd forgotten all about her, huh? Three hearts. I have three hearts. I'm sorry. I have three hearts. She leaves him standing there, looking shocked. Disgusted, even, maybe. Her head is pounding, but she has to run. Has no other choice now. At least she isn't barking anymore, right this second, anyway. 
There is a path up ahead, on the left, marked by two boulders. It's a straight uphill dash, so she'll likely get dizzy, maybe even fall again, barf maybe, which she has done twice during training runs for half marathons, right on the same hill. Hospital. <sighs> Spoken like a man. He knows nothing about a woman's body. The rest of a woman's body. Well, he's been present for two births, so he does score a point or two for that, but he knows nothing about bleeding like a stuck pig and throwing a dinner party in the midst of it. She miscarries like some people vacation. Twice a year for a few days at a time. It's nothing. Granted, this time feels slightly different, feels slightly more permanent than usual. I know that sounds crazy. This was the last try. She'd gone ahead with it. Even though Mitch had said there would be consequences, that he was done, that it wasn't going to change anything, he was tired, he wanted out. And sure enough, she looks back. I shouldn't look back. But maybe she will turn into a pillar of salt. That wouldn't be so bad, would it? To suddenly dissolve, to blow away? Then, she remembers. She looks at her phone. Mitch is always scornfully saying to just reboot. Just reboot, he says, he'd say, and shake his head as though she ought to be put in phone jail for not immediately rebooting. Why should the thing need to be rebooted? Why aren't things perfect when they're shiny and attractive? She reboots it. Reboot it, just reboot it. All this and all she needed to do was reboot it. She is sure there will be a message from Nora Lee, and it will sound like a sow giving birth with all the honking and sniffing, and there will be a lot of, I'm sorry, but, which she just doesn't want to hear anymore. And there will be a message from Lydia, and she will be crying. She's had a fight with someone. She has done something dumb. Can Lydia come get her? Maybe she fell asleep again on the train and ended up in Coney Island. She imagines that at least... Though her daughter does not particularly like her or respect her and does, in fact, blame her for her father disappearing and all other worldly unpleasantness and does not want a baby sister or brother, she at least still calls her when she totally fucks up her life. There isn't a message. There is no message. No one has left a message. Maybe they're finally giving up and just letting her turn into a wild animal. She dials Lydia's number. Hi, nobody will listen to this, but you're fresh. Bye. She wants to kill herself. She should just lie down up here off the path. Better still, maybe she will just lie down on top of one of these boulders and turn to stone. She does not speak this language. She dials Lydia's number again. Her hands are cold. She's starting to shiver. Hi, nobody will listen to this, but you're fresh. Click. Fresh. She approaches the boulders. She is winded, lightheaded. But thankfully, Matt is not behind her any longer. No, he is probably headed to the 72nd precinct to report a crazy woman bleeding in the park and barking like a dog. A bleeding, barking, kissing bandit. The sun is shining very brightly now. The gray sky rolled up and put away. Winter blue, beaming. She sits on the path leans against one of the boulders. She puts her head in her hands. Of course, Lydia is not going to answer. Of course, she is not going to willingly engage. 
If people knew how easily they could lose everything, they would never even try. No one would have children, no one would fall in love, no one would ever leave their house, their hut, their hole. Then it occurs to her, text, fucking text, tap, 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 tap. Are you okay? Did you call? She waits. A hawk's cry, looking for her babies. No, not yet. It is not yet spring, no babies, no nests yet. Then something else occurs to her, something better. She's tired and just wants to go home. She wants to do something her way, for once in a long while, in a way that is better and makes more sense. She wants to call someone and hear a voice on the other end that is not her own, or a shadow of who she once was. She calls Marva, that weird girl, that creature who was in love with her daughter. Hello? Hello? Who dis? Dis, this is Lucinda. May I please speak to my daughter? She's not answering her phone. Okay. <laughs> You could seriously have, like, knocked me over with a feather duster. Or whatever. I mean, holy fuck, who the fuck's mother calls you on the phone? I was cleaning up the apartment because my mama works at the nursing home on Saturdays, and she told me I might as well not be home when she got here if I'd been leaning instead of cleaning. So there I was, taking the broom all up and down the floor, the halls, Cinderella of East Flatbush, when bzz, bzz, bzz. Now. I thought for sure it was Lydia, wanting me to meet her somewhere all T-Billy butthurt about Rollo, and I was not about it, for real. I mean, she was going to have to ride that pony by herself, you know what I'm saying? I'll be there for her afterward and all. That's friendship, even though it's gross with a capital ugh. But for now, just sit in it, Lydia. But it was not Lydia. It was Lucinda. And I know I didn't have to answer, but if one of us doesn't answer, then that, for real, will whack the hornet's nest. So I was like, hello, ma'am, which I know she hates because it makes her feel like an old. I don't say that. That's Lydia's dumbness. And she was all, I'm concerned. Please put Lydia on the telephone, please, because she is not answering her phone. And I was like, okay, okay. So I need you to just be chill because I'm potentially in a like Tom and Jerry situation or like Final Destination 5 where I tell this crazy lady like, hold on, your daughter is right here. I'll put her on. Wait one second. Whoops, sorry. Dropped my phone in the toilet. Sorry, I can't hear you. Bullshit. Hang up. While at the same time, her daughter that she's called me looking for it, like wanders up behind her and says, who are you talking to on the telephone, mother dear? And then mom's eyes bug out of her head and smoke shoots out of her ears and she clutches her chest and then boom, dies of a heart attack right then and there. I did not want the drama. I mean, I haven't done anything, right? But like the ethnically ambiguous red shirt ensign always gets phased. So I need to figure a way off this damn planet right now. And that's when it occurs to me. I will just drop this all on her doorstep. And I took in a breath. Actually, she's probably with her boyfriend Rollo doing anal sex right this second. And then I stopped fantasizing about doing something seriously shady, though hilarious, and say what I know I should say. What she knew I would say for her. 
which is why she came to me with a plate of dumplings. Because I am a dead clown with a smile on my face. Uh, yeah, Lydia's got some bad cramps right now. Like, real bad. And she's been in the bathroom for a little while trying to clean herself up. And, I mean, I think she might need me to respect her privacy. But don't worry. We've got plenty of pads and my doll. And I'm going to make her some homemade chicken soup. And then we're going to sit on a very soft love seat and watch, like, love actually under a blanket, even though there's some problematic stalker shit in it, okay? Hello? Hello? Will you please tell her to call me? Tell her... Will you please tell her that I am not angry and I would just like to hear her voice once before school on Monday? Uh, yes, yes I will, yes ma'am, I will. And then I felt like shit. Hello? Tell her I'll be at home, I'll be at home and then I'll have to go out to run an errand, but I will answer this time if she chooses to call. Uh, okay. I will. I will give her the message. Fuck. It was five till four. I should have just thrown the staging crap in the Ikea bags already and been done, but I got greedy. I knew I had at least three people on the hook, and it priced the place to sell, and I was really just hanging out, waiting for my phone to ring with the first offer. And basking, I'll be honest, in the silence. Dads don't like constant racket any more than moms, even though Lizzie's always after me about tuning out. Like, how can you just tune out? He's been calling for you to tie his shoes for ten minutes. Which is an exaggeration. And even so, why can't she just go help him? She hears him too. But I'm digressing. Anyway, I hear this racket outside. Like, about a million pigeons took off at once, all at the same time, en masse, like, fup, 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 fup. you get the picture. And I look up, and there's Lucinda in the doorway of the apartment. She'd showered and changed, but she still looked iffy, in my opinion. But I don't mean this the wrong way. There is only so much better a person can look who's in her situation. Medical emergency on top of all the rest, the husband, God knows where, financial insecurity, I'm guessing. She's told me she's a writer, but who blogs for an actual living? And I, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but she looks about as good as a woman can get at her age. All the women around here do. And I don't see age in a woman, really. I don't. I love women. But, but let's be frank. It's not helping that she's closer to 50 than 30 and she's desperate on top of everything else. I feel this is beneath all of our dignities, but I feel sorry for her. I've had women kiss me before out of the blue. I was a bartender for six years, but I have to nip this in the bud. I'm working. You can't just, he says. His voice is low, quavering. He runs his hands through his hair. I can't what, Lucinda says. Come to an open house? 
He smiles, but hesitantly, at her joke. She can tell he's trying not to set off the crazy lady. Lucinda moves toward him. He stays stock still. She smells his cologne. Something 90s and frat boyish polo or dracar noir. She crinkles her nose, but keeps moving closer to him in spite of herself. She looks past him through the French doors leading out to the garden, where a few sparrows are flitting around in the skeletal dormant butterfly bush. She feels his eyes on her. One of the sparrows flaps down to the ground and rolls around in a patch of dirt. Seem to have made it home okay, he says. How are you feeling? He asks me how I feel. I'm better, had a shower, she says. I tell him I'm better, tell him I showered. Glad to hear that, he says, but you shouldn't be here. And something jagged and cold rips through me. He swallows, then says, it ended at four. I stifle a bark push past him, heading toward the kitchen for a drink of water. I just need a drink of water, I say, and barrel ahead. You can't, he says, jumping in my path, inadvertently kicking the leg of a cheap little wooden table near the doorway. A full bowl of lemons clatters to the floor. God damn it, these are staged, he says, as though it's my fault. Pardon my French. He drops to his knees to wrangle the whirling lemons while the acrylic bowl whips around in circles across the black tile. I watch him crawl after the bowl. It comes to rest near a pull-out pantry stuffed in between the wall and what looks to be some sort of midget dishwasher. I watch him, I watch him. She watches him gather some lemons in his arms, his G-star raw jeans amplifying the alluring bubble of his ass, the tail of his white Thomas pink button-down untucking to reveal his lower back. She cups her hand under the tap and pulls down the faucet handle. There's a rumble, then a gassy blast of lukewarm brownish water from the tap. His head whips around. He drops the lemons. He stands upright in the middle of the kitchen, hands on his hips, taps his pocket to make sure of, she notes, his phone. He wants to make sure his phone is within quick reach. He looks down at all the lemons, spiraling slowly down to a stop. I'm a married man, he says. He tells me he's a married man. So, she says abruptly, surprising herself. She wipes her hands on her pants. She coughs again, <laughs> barks, whatever the hell it is. So, this isn't happening. It's not that way. We kissed. I hear myself say. He moves to say something. I stop him. I know. I kissed you. I kissed you. We've been taking walks in the park. We tell each other personal things. He cuts her off. I have a five-year-old and a baby. My wife is fucking postpartum. He catches himself. He is... Is he shaking? I see him shaking. I've made him shake. He lowers his voice, runs his hands through his hair. What in the fuck do you think your husband would say if he knew his wife was out here throwing herself at the, at the, 
at some guy. He kicks out a foot. He's exasperated, embarrassed, to have to check her, check me. His kick sends one of the lemons shooting across the floor. It bounces off the cheap range and ricochets back toward his head, nailing him right above his left eye. Fuck me, he hollers in pain. I'm not, I'm not just somebody's wife, I say. She says, I say, no, you're really not. He cuts her off, rubbing his dinged forehead. You're not somebody's wife, that's for sure. I turn my back to him. Noting along the way now four or five little sparrows bathing in the dust at the base of the butterfly bush out in the garden. You know what? I hear myself say. It's not my job to care about your family. You're supposed to care about them. I do. You're supposed to care about yours, too. But they don't care about me, she says. I hear myself say, I'm sure that's not true. You're not supposed to buy me smoothies. You're not supposed to tell me you're in couples therapy. You're not supposed to text me. Text me little jokes. I was just... His eyes, his deep-set eyes, seemed to have sunk back deeper into his skull. He looks like what she imagines death would look like if he, it if a model moonlighted as the Grim Reaper. I stopped working so I could have the experience of taking care of my babies. I thought there would be babies. I didn't start out as idle. I didn't start out, I, I used to work, I wrote. I, I was a legal secretary, did I ever tell you? No, you didn't, and you shouldn't tell me anymore. You should leave. I do all the jobs every day, whether I have anything else to do. I feed everybody, do the clothes, note everyone's comings and goings. I don't pretend that it's magical. I don't pretend that I'm happy. I don't lie to myself that all this has fixed me. I don't believe it's all supposed to add up to something wonderful for, for, for me. But maybe I should. Maybe I should think that it's actually not okay to go out and eat in a nice French restaurant without me when I'm tired and burnt out and... Maybe I... Maybe I... Sh maybe I should think you can't call me a bitch to my face and, and old and leave your belongings in a complete... a complete shambolic nightmare and tell me we have the money, you should hire a maid or refuse me another baby because, because it, would, it, would, it would be nice to hold a baby again. Because I want someone to hold for just a little bit who takes me for granted because they're legitimately helpless. Matt turns to the refrigerator, opens it, and pulls out a pretentious little bottle of Perrier. I take it from him. Thanks, I say. Let's make that Perrier to go, okay? And he smiles at me, but it's a fake smile. He hates me now. And I know, she knows she will never be alone with him again. I kissed you. It's not like I, I raped you or something. I didn't even French kiss you. You need to leave. He puts his hand out, ushering me back toward the front door. I walk with him, turn when we reach the doorway. I notice his lips. His lips are puffy the lips I'd imagined kissing that she'd kissed. 
Now she could see them under the bright bare bulb hanging over the entryway. The entryway, right across from the bathroom, the toilet belching sewer gas, his puffy, scarred lips. She fucking hates those lips. She doesn't want to run her finger along the bump in his nose, doesn't care that he wears a platinum wristwatch around his thick wrist, or looks particularly attractive in his pink shirts, or smells like Jimmy Smith's when he was on NYPD Blue or something. She hates every part of him and wants his ideas about himself cold and dead in the ground. This was where the servants lived. You know that, right? They cooked the meals for the family that lived in the rooms that aren't the size of fucking cages upstairs. Honestly, the fucking fiction you weave, 775K, honestly, for this pathetic little aspirational piece of shit. It has the garden, he says. She runs her hand along the butcher block, looks at her fingers disgustedly, then holds up her open palm. Bring a little goddamn borax next time. Have some class. He opens the front door, his eyes to the floor, jaw cocked slightly to the side. He waits. She doesn't move. She says, you can't have my house. Just go, please, he seethes. That's the only reason you talk to me, isn't it? Yes. There is a sound just outside the front door, a rustle and a caw, caw, caw. She reaches out and grabs his shirt. He steps back reflexively and grabs her wrists to pull her off of him. Suddenly, he loses his footing, and as suddenly, they're falling together, both flailing, her bawling his shirt in her fists, him trying with all his might to throw her off. And then they are passing the picture frame molding, the chair rail, a ridiculous Ikea print of Marilyn Monroe, and the original blonde herringbone pattern floor is approaching at light speed. She reaches her lips toward his one final time, one final pathetic, I know full well risk, but I don't care, and thunk! His head hits the floor, and oof, I land on top of him, and crack! Our foreheads bang together like billiard balls. Holy shit! Finally! It fucking took you long enough! Oh, thank God! Mom! 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 What the fuck is this? Where are we? Who? My spine is a harp. My heart is desire. My, my, my. The hell is this drivel? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Well, this is certainly an unexpected development.